The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au So we're going to read together from Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to just back it up a little bit and read from verse 32, from verse 32 of Acts chapter 2 down to the end of the chapter, verse 47. And the Bible says, as Peter is preaching, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and bringing, sorry, and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as had any had need. I beg your pardon. Let's read that again from verse number 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father in heaven, again, as we come before the word of God, we pray, O God, that you would speak and we would hear. Father, we would be like Samuel who said, your servant listens, speak, O God. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, I was working in Canada, and we had a little workshop in a country area. We lived on Vancouver Island, and a few of us had access to an old farmhouse. And so we went into the farmhouse, and we tore all the walls out. We put up beams to hold up the ceiling and the roof and everything. And we pretty much destroyed the house to turn it into a woodworking shop. Now, in Canada, coffee is slightly different. Here, we're very much, um, dare I say it, coffee snobs. We like our 
strong coffees, our espressos and cappuccinos. In Canada, where it's very cold, we like large coffees that are hot, strong, and wet, and we don't care too much about the quality so much because we're looking to keep warm. Well, where this little farmhouse was located, there was not much of a coffee shop anywhere near our little workshop, and we had to have coffee. Had to have coffee. There's some things in life that are a necessity. Well, down the road, there was a little place called the Red Barn Market. And this little place was kind of run down, and it, it didn't have much curb appeal, and the parking wasn't that great. It was a gravel parking lot. And inside, you know, it was probably 1950s-era uh, decor and a kind of rubby-dub. But the lady behind the counter, she bought the place, and she had made good coffee. It was hot, strong, and wet, and so we would go there periodically throughout our day and buy the coffee. And she struggled to make ends meet. She struggled to make this little place work. It, she, it needed a complete redo. Well, one day we noticed the place was closed up, and it said on the sign out front, under new management. Okay, well, that's a good thing. And so we had to go further afield to get our coffee, but we could live with that. And over time, we saw trucks coming and going, and we seen things happening, and a new facade, and new buildings, and there was a, a paved parking lot. And finally, the great day came. They had this beautiful thing all built up with a, a new front barn. It was a red barn. It was all painted like an American red barn. And the doors opened, and they had people coming in. And instead of being two and three people in there, now there was 20 and 30 people crowding into this building. And inside, everything was new. You could buy all kinds of organic foods and, and fruits and vegetables, and you could buy really good coffee and excellent baked goods, although I didn't sample those all that much. You can believe that if you want to. And I would go in there, and we would go in there, and we would spend a little extra money, but under new management, everything was different. What's the point? Why am I telling you that story? Because these men and women in the book of Acts in chapter 2 have sat there and they have heard the preaching of the gospel. And the spirit-filled men who stood there and communicated the gospel message, Peter in particular, filled with the spirit, preached a message. And the spirit-filled life began at conversion. The spirit came on Pentecost morning. He filled the disciples. The Spirit empowered the preaching of Peter. This burly, rough fisherman, not the greatest language in the world, stands up and preaches a brilliant message. The first message on Pentecost morning, empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit convicts the listeners. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. The idea was that they were impressed deeply with their need of a Savior, their need to be forgiven. The Spirit convicted them. The Spirit filled those early believers. We can know that because the Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 13 that having heard the message and having believed, we are sealed with the Spirit of God. The believers repented and they were baptized. But I want you to notice the first verse the first word, sorry, in verse number 42 is the word and. Now, I did a thorough research on that little word in all the ancient languages, and I'm happy to report back to you that the little word and means and. You're welcome. I'm here to help. I'm a giver. That little word is not there by mistake. And our Bibles, like mine and probably like yours, put a paragraph break between the souls that received and were baptized 
and they devote themselves. There shouldn't be a break there because the line of thought that goes from Acts chapter 2 and that conversion of those men and women flows straight into Acts 42 and they continued steadfast or and they devoted themselves. The spirit-filled life that began at conversion does not stop. It immediately results in a change. These men gathered from all over the known world, looking down their long noses at these Galilean tradesmen, wouldn't even speak to them. Now they're walking to hear what Peter has to say. There is a radical change. They are under new management, which is a poor way to say they're under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They are filled with the Spirit. And that being filled with the Spirit led them to a whole new lifestyle, a whole new way of living. The word there, devoted, is the word that can be also translated. They persisted. They were dedicated to what God had called them to do. So I want to give you an outline. It's a very simple outline. If you know the four W's and an H, you probably already know half of my outline. What's the four W's and an H, you ask? Well, the, the title of the message you can see from the bulletin there, persist in the spirit-filled life in the church or living in the church. Who is to persist? Number one. What is it we are to persist in? Number two. Sorry. What is it to persist? Number two. Sorry. Number three. What are we to persist in? Number four. Why are we to persist? Number five. How are we to persist? And that's it. I want to look at their persistence in living the spirit-filled life in the church. And this is only the first part. Next week, we'll look at the other parts. We're going to look at just the first part here, which is the apostles' doctrine this morning. So, first question, who is to persist? Notice the text says, and they. That's the 3,000 believers. That's the 120 disciples and apostles. They were all, and those, sorry, who were being daily saved, they were all together to persist in this apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The text serves to help us to determine how we are doing. This little text here describes, it's a descriptive text, but buried in that incredible little text, there is a test to see how we are doing. It also defines what is necessary for the church. It sets us an example that we can follow as a New Testament church striving to live the way God designed us as a church to live. It also gives us a goal to strive for, to work towards. We are under new management. If you're here in this church this morning and you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not under the old management. You are not under your own management and control. You are under new management in the power of the Holy Spirit that has filled you and sealed you and marks you as belonging to Jesus Christ. When you think about the Spirit of God's place in your life, think about a wedding ring. This little black tungsten steel thing around my finger tells everybody I meet, I belong to somebody. I am committed for life to somebody else. I'm not available to date or anything like that. I belong to somebody else. The Spirit of God that fills and seals you marks you as belonging to Jesus Christ. You have been changed. You are under new management. 
and your whole life is to be different than it once was. We are under new management. So what is it to persist? Now, the word is proskaterontes, which I didn't say very well, I'm sure. And it means to persist or devote. It means to be dedicated. It means to continue with an intensity. It means to continue despite opposition. Those of you on Facebook will know that we have a new addition in our family. It's got four legs and big flappy ears and a little pointy tail, and her name is Pepper. She's about this big. And the other day, we're on the family room in our house, and I got her up, and I fed her and taken her outside and all that. And I put her in the middle of the floor, and she has all these little stuffed toys, and Pepper's a little foxhound. And they're designed to hunt and kill. And so she had all her Pepper little toys out there, and she's pouncing on the little stuffed elephant, and she's shaking it back and forth. And then she stalked over to Heather's old shoe, and she pounced on that. And I reached over, and I grabbed the little elephant's tail, and she had a hold of the ear. And I got, I started pulling, and she kind of knew what I was doing. And she gritted her teeth and dug in her teeth, and little paws went out, and she just, she was hanging on, man. And so I started pulling her, and of course, she had nothing to stand on because she's got little soft feet and a smooth tile floor. So she skied around the floor as I hung on, I pulled this thing around. It was great fun. And as I'm pulling her around, I thought to myself, you know what? She understands by instinct what it means to persist. Even though clearly, I mean, I'm about 300 times her size and weight, and she didn't have a chance against me. But you know what she was doing? Despite all the opposition, despite evidence to the contrary that she could not win this fight, her little teeth were clamped down that poor elephant's ear, and she was hanging on, and she was persisting. And so when Luke writes and says, and they devoted themselves, he means, and they persisted in the apostles' doctrine, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Listen, beloved. Christianity is a life of commitment to Christ. This is not a 1% thing. It's not a 20% thing. It's a 100% of a 100% thing. It's a commitment to Christ. It's a life of dedication to the Lord Jesus and the things that he has called us to do. Christianity is a life of dedication. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, to give you an example, they devoted, they persisted in prayer. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 46, the Bible says that the elders and the apostles there, they devoted themselves, or if I may, they persisted in prayer and the ministry of the word. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul tells Timothy, Paul or Timothy, devote yourself, persist in the public reading, in the exhortation and the teaching of the Bible. In Titus 3 verse 8, Paul tells Titus, Devote, persist in doing good works. Luke is describing them and he gives us the example for what we should be doing, a persistence to what God has called us to do and be as a spirit-filled believers in the church of Jesus Christ. So then thirdly, what are we to persist in? Notice from the text, it says, now your Bible probably has like mine, it says the apostles' teaching or the peace, blah, blah, blah. The apostles' doctrine. In actual fact, in the Greek, it's actually reversed. And you say, what's the big deal? Well, in Greek, the way the Greek language works, as little I know about it, 
is when they put a word closer to the beginning of a sentence, it raises the emphasis. And so what it literally reads is something like this. They devoted or persisted to the doctrine of the apostles. And the emphasis is more on the doctrine, the teaching, than on the apostles. You say, well, it's, they're both there. Yes, they're both there. But it's on very much the doctrine of it, the teaching of it. Notice in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, we're looking for what does this mean? What is, what is the apostles' doctrine that they were persistent in and that we are called to be persistent in? In Acts 2 and verse 36, and this is why I read that verse earlier, it says, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. You see, what's the point? Well, in the two words, Lord and Christ, we get different emphases on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Lord describes very much the person of Christ, who he is. He is truly God and he is truly man. When we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and the person of Christ, we think about both his deity and his humanity. When we think about the person of Christ as the Lord Jesus Christ, we can start unpacking all of the attributes of who Jesus is. Remember what Jesus told us? When he left us, he gave us that great commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, doing what? Someone yell it out. Teaching, exactly. Didaki. Teaching them all things whatsoever that I have commanded you. In other words, everything that Jesus did and said, all about his person. So as the apostles got the church together, I'm almost certain that they began to recount some of the stories. Remember the time when Jesus went up and Jairus' daughter was there, and gentle Jesus reached down with his hand and took her in a beautiful, gentle, sweet moment, and he lifted her to her feet, and she was alive. Remember the time when Jesus stood up and walked across the raging ocean and he showed his majesty as God. And they described who Jesus was. But not only that, the apostles' doctrine includes the fact that he is Christ. You say, isn't that his name? Well, yes and no. Because Christ is actually a title. It were, the word is from the Hebrew, translating to Greek, Messiah. So what does Messiah mean? Some of you probably know this. It means anointed one. Now there are dumb or different roles in biblical history that are anointed roles and works that Jesus did. For example, he is the anointed king of kings. We were celebrating this morning the fact that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all. He is the anointed king. So as they're describing Jesus to the new church and telling all about Jesus to them, they're describing the fact that he is the king. They describe the fact that he is the anointed high priest who made one sacrifice once for all. They would have described how he is the anointed prophet of God and all the things that Jesus said. You know what Jesus told them? Listen, the Spirit of God will come and he will remind you of all the things that I'd said. He will bring to your mind, and I'm sure as they sat there and they taught the church, 12 apostles and 3,000 plus members, the Spirit of God steadily fed them all the teachings of Jesus. And I'm sure they began to be written down and put together. And the Gospels were compiled and put together from those remembrances of Christ. 
And the early church devoted themselves. They persisted in the doctrine of the apostles, the teaching about Jesus Christ. No doubt they talked about his omniscience and his omnipotence and his omnipresence and his unchangingness and the fact that he is absolutely holy as God. No doubt. Think about this. These men in the first century coming out of a system that's devoted to the law of God and the sacrifices and the offering in the temple, and all of a sudden they're hearing this radical life-changing news that Jesus Christ has suffered and died once for all. Put down that goat. Leave the lamb to run around the field. There's no longer need for fire and blood and smoke and a knife. That was radical for them. And they were devoted to it. They wanted to understand. What are they to persist in? In the doctrine of the apostles. No doubt include the Old Testament relation to the New. Remember uh, Peter, he stands up. This is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet. Right? He recalls the Old Testament and he begins to explain what's happening now as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. One of Luke's goals as he writes both Luke and Acts is to relate the Old Testament teaching to the New Testament truth of the church and how they fit beautifully together and one flows into the other. And no doubt as the apostles stood there with the church, they explained how the two fit together. We're to persist. We're not to be let loose. We're to be like Pepper clamped down on the, on the little elephant's ear. And no matter how hard I pull, she will not let go. And listen, in a world that wants to throw aside doctrine, I, I listened to a message. I just couldn't believe this guy. He was talking about how we've got to be like the New Testament church. And you know where he started his teaching on the New Testament church? He read through Peter's sermon, he skipped right over 32 and picked up in verse 43 and talked all about the community and the giving and the wonderful things they were doing, and he completely missed out the doctrine of the apostles. When this church, the world we live in, sorry, not this church, when this world that we live in and churches in this world are steadily cutting the Bible and throwing out the bits they don't want and throwing out the bits that are not attractive and throwing out the bits that make God a little too godlike for them, we must, brothers and sisters, we must persist, hold on with a grip of death to the doctrine of the apostles and not let go for anything. They persisted. They would not put it aside. You say, why? Why not, why, why not just open the door? Why not just water down the teaching? You know, cut Nelson's sermon time into like 10 minutes. Make sure he preaches all happy stuff. Right? None of this heavy thing. Why don't we bring in lights and smoke machines and strobe lights? And why don't we bring in cool music and, and really cool uh, young guys to play music with cool haircuts and all the rest of that thing? Nothing wrong with young guys with cool haircuts. I got sons too. Don't get me wrong. And the easiest thing to do is to water down and make the church as, as acceptable and friendly to the world as possible. We could fill this place. No joke. It's not hard to fill a church. It's a whole lot different to see men and women come in to know 
the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Christ to come to saving faith in God and repentance of sin and genuine biblical worship that pleases God. We won't put it aside. As long as I have the freedom to stand and preach in this pulpit, it is my determination to preach Christ and Him crucified until they drag me out of here and throw me away. I won't give up. Why? I'm so glad you asked. Why must we persist in spirit-filled living in the church? Why must we persist in the apostles' doctrine? Take your Bible, stick your finger in Acts, and turn over to John chapter 8. The reason they persisted and devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine is this. Acts chapter, I'll give you two reasons. Acts chapter 8 is one, and 1 John chapter 1 is the other one. Acts 8 verses 31 and 32. The word of God says that Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Why do we persist? Because abiding in the truth, abiding in the word of Christ and persisting in the doctrine of the apostles is the same thing. And abiding and persisting displays the fact that we are disciples of Christ. Buddhists don't run around following the teachings of somebody else. They follow the teachings of Buddha to an extreme level. Communists don't run around following the teachings of John F. Kennedy. They run around following the teachings of Karl Marx and, and Lenin and whoever other the communist guys are. The communists in China follow the teachings of Mao Zedong, I think his name was. They devote and dedicate themselves. They have a little red book with them. They carry everywhere they go. They devote themselves to the teachings of the one they are following. And guess what, brothers and sisters? We who are filled with the Spirit of God, who are Christ's disciples, are to devote ourselves and dedicate ourselves to following the teachings of Jesus Christ. It proves our discipleship. By the way, do you notice what else he said? You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I, I, I never, no, sorry. I can't remember how many times I've heard someone with good intention but poor teaching say, oh, you know, doctrine just divides, so we've got to get rid of doctrine. Mm, hang on. What you're saying is when Jesus said, you abide in my words, you are my disciples, you know the truth, and the truth chops things up. The truth divides. He says it makes you free. So if we want to know what it is to truly walk in the freedom, to know what it is to truly walk in the way that Jesus walked and live the way that Jesus lived and follow him doing exactly what he called us to do, the answer is not to throw his teachings out. The answer is to devote ourselves and be persistent in them and to not let go. We devote ourselves to the Christ teaching that we might display our discipleship. It proves the reality of our discipleship. It displays the reality that we are under new management. Everything has changed. If any man's in Christ, he's a what? New creature, right? The old, gone. The new, it's here. 
I didn't go back down to the Red Bar Market to buy my usual cup of coffee from the same lady in the old, little old rundown building. I walked down to the new Red Bar Market and everything was different because it was under new management. When people meet us and see us, they ought to look at us and say, that's clearly somebody who is under new management. The way we display that is by abiding in and persisting in Christ's teaching. Take your Bible again. Flip to the back of the Bible. Almost the end of 1 John chapter 1. And in 1 John chapter 1, we have a parallel idea that's actually put forward to us in Acts chapter 2. First, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first four verses. And we see something very clear here. The reason why we must pers persist in the doctrine of the apostles is laid out for us here. There's a purpose clause that's very important. Beginning of verse 1, John writes and says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that purpose so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you look back for a second at Acts 2, what are you going to see? They devoted themselves to the doctrine of the apostles, number one. And what's the second one? The fellowship. Why did Luke, on the inspiration of the Spirit of God, put doctrine first and fellowship second? Because the reason is that out of right doctrine and persistence and adherence to the biblical doctrine, we have that much sweeter and that much more genuine fellowship one with the other when the truth is taught and preached and persisted in. Why don't we do joint efforts in the gospel with the Catholic Church? Well, because they don't believe the same gospel we do. It's not the same. I'm out there preaching that it's uh, justification by the imputation of Christ's righteousness in a moment. And they're standing outside the street preaching, it is justification by impartation of grace as you keep the sacraments. One's a gospel of grace, one's a gospel of works. They do not meet up. They don't match. They don't work together. You can't have fellowship where there is no agreement on those foundational principles of truth. So John is saying, listen, we testify to what we had seen. He had seen Christ. He proclaims what he had seen. He'd seen Christ. And he taught them Jesus Christ and him crucified so that they would have fellowship with them and with God the Father. We don't have fellowship with God the Father simply because we want to. We have fellowship with God the Father when we are in adherence and agreement with the biblical truth. I cannot come to God in my sin and simply accept because I am well-intentioned, I'm sincere, sincerely wrong, but still sincere. It doesn't work that way. There is truth that we must submit ourselves to, that we might have fellowship with God and with each other. And the early church, spirit-filled believers persisted in that truth. He said, oh, hang on a second. It's one thing for John to say 
that he heard and he saw and he proclaimed Christ. We don't hear with the ears and we don't hear, see with the eyes Christ. He's in glory. So how does that work for us? So to answer the question number four, number five, how we persist, we look at it like this. What we have heard, we hear Christ preached. We're going to look at uh, 1 Timothy in a few minutes. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to persist in the public reading of Scripture. In those days, they didn't have texts of Bibles like we do to hand out and carry around. So the church gathered together. And the reason why we have somebody come up here and read the text of Scripture, usually, and then I proclaim it, is that's the way the early church did it. They would have somebody come and stand, and for two to three hours, in case you missed that, two to three hours, they would read the Scriptures. Why? Because that was their weekly dose, their weekly feeding from Scripture, because they didn't have copies. So they would all come and sit and listen as the person would stand there and slowly and clearly read the Scriptures. And then one of the elders or one of the deacons would get up and give an exposition of one of those texts short. So if we would do biblical church, you'd have to start by getting here about uh, 7 o'clock. We would read three hours of Scripture, then I would preach for an hour or whatever it is, half an hour. And that would be what the New Testament did. Why? Because they had to hear it. They didn't see Christ in the flesh. They, like you and I, believe by faith. So you and I, in how do we do what John did? We hear Christ preached. We hear the Bible read. And he says, what we have seen with our eyes. You and I don't see with these eyes. We see with these eyes. The eyes of faith. We trust in Christ and we see and know the truth. But he also says, what we have looked upon. Christ has to be preached. Christ has to be trusted. And Christ also needs to be investigated by you and I. And you and I are blessed beyond measure. We have the words of the living God in our hands, on our phones, on our computers, all over the place. And the reality is, it's a rather shocking reality. I heard this other day on a, in a lecture on worship. He said the church in this day and age is less likely to be reading the scriptures than they were in those days. We have the word of God so readily available, we take it completely for granted. But the way we persist in the doctrine of the apostles is what we hear. We hear Christ preach. It's what we see with the eyes of faith. We trust in Christ. What we look upon. We investigate, we discover, we search out. Remember the Bereans? They were more noble. Why? Because they daily searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul was saying were true. They discovered they were. The best thing you can do at the end of a sermon is to go home, sit down with your Bible, take the notes that you have made about the sermon as you've been listening, and go back and search through the scriptures to see if the things that Nelson is saying are true or not. Dig it out for yourself. I love the story of Mary, right? Remember we were talking about her in Bible study? And Mary heard all the things the angel said, and he said, you know what? Your cousin, your relative is now also conceived in her old age. And Mary says, may it be to me according to your word. She gets up and she books it up to Judea, or down to Judea, I guess it is itself. And she goes to see Elizabeth. You say, why did she do that? 
She was investigating to see if the things she had been told were true or not. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the way we persist is we persist in hearing it. We persist in trusting what we hear. And we persist in investigating and searching it out for ourselves. Do I make mistakes? Yes, all the time. Don't believe me? Ask my kids. They'll tell you quickly. He makes mistakes. Do I say, does my tongue slip when I'm preaching? If you're paying attention, you can probably count the number of times my tongue has slipped this morning. Occasionally I make him, I just, I'm in, in the heat of the moment and my mind's going 100 miles an hour, which is rare for my mind. And I say something and it comes out a little bit odd. Search it out. Did you mean what you said? No, it was just a slip of the tongue. Go search it out. We persist in it that way. And all these things we testify, he says, and we proclaim. Testify has the idea of a gentleness. Coming alongside a brother or sister who is struggling and downcast and hurting. We don't get up on a soapbox and preach them a three-point sermon with great emphasis and delivery. We sit alongside them, put our arm around their shoulders, and we pray with them, and we sit with them, and then we share gently a verse. And what do we share? We share Christ. But we also proclaim. We stand up, and with authority, we lift up our voice like Peter, like I do. And we declare this is the truth of God. You need to listen. Well, we discovered what's been revealed to us. We preach. We hear the truth. We trust in Christ who is the truth. We investigate and search the scriptures. We practice what our hands have handled. What does that mean for us? It means the truth that we are hearing and discovering as we adhere to the doctrine of Christ is not just cataloged and filed in some neat filing cabinet or maybe in the dark recesses of your dusty brain. It's put into practice. Peter says we, had, we touched him. You and I, in the same idea, we put into practice what we are hearing about Jesus Christ. It makes no good whatsoever to hear it all, stack it all up inside your brain, and make no change whatsoever in your life. To give a little plug for tonight's message, we're going to look at saving faith. And one of the profound differences between saving faith and false faith is the what it produces. And the production of saving faith is a changed life. So no, you and I can't put our hands out and physically touch Jesus. One day we'll be able to do that. But what it does mean is the things that we have heard about and seen, we can put into practice in our daily lives. And brothers and sisters, as we're going to see in a second, truth that is not put into practice and displayed as an example by the elders and pastors of a church, the elders and pastors should be put down and put out because they are to practice it and live it out. How must we persist? In Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29, Paul says, We proclaim Christ. We warn every man. We teach every man. He says, We toil and struggle to present every man mature and complete in Christ. Toil and struggle? What's that remind you of? Persisting. <laughs> we persist. We proclaim Christ. We don't give up. We warn everyone about the truth of Christ. We teach everyone the word of God, and we labor, we struggle to present every believer mature and complete in Christ. One last passage. Take your Bibles and flip back to 1 Timothy. 
In 1 Timothy 4, when you're studying or training for ministry and thinking about how God is going to use you, this is one of the passages they often turn you to to look at. First Timothy four, verse eleven. Paul is writing to his young friend who is a pastor and an elder in the Ephesian church, and he says, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, devote, same word again, persist in the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation and to the teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist, same word again, in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He says, Timothy, devote yourself to the reading, to the explaining, and the teaching of Scripture. Immerse yourself completely in the Word of God and the teaching and the doctrine of the apostles. Persist in these things. How do we do this? How do we persist? We read and we study. We apply and we practice. We preach and proclaim and gently testify to the word of God. Meanwhile, right back over in the book of Acts in chapter 2, he says they persisted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the doctrine of the apostles. How do we do this? Well, I described it as spirit-filled living, and that is exactly it. If we try in our own exertion, in our own effort, under our own steam to do these things, we will fail repeatedly again and again and again. The reality of how they did it, although there was certainly an effort and exertion put there, we know from the scriptures, Philippians chapter 2, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's the spirit of God we've been filled with. And the way we do this is under his power and his leading and his provoking. Sitting in my office, I'm a pastor, right? I'm, I'm paid to study and preach and teach and visit and shepherd and counsel and all those things. You say, you must spend all your time reading your Bible. You know, the number of times the Spirit of God goes, poke, you need to read. Oh, I'm reading, I'm studying for a sermon. No, 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 poke. You need to read the Word of God so that God can teach you. You need to read the Word of God so the Word of God can be in you, affecting you personally. Never mind what you do as a pastor for a church. It's reading, it's studying, it's being in the Word of God. It's the power of the Spirit of God that provokes us and moves us, puts the desire within us. So let me ask you this question. Is there a desire deep in your heart to be in the Word of God, to be studying, to be reading, to be memorizing and meditating. These early church 
They devoted themselves to it. They couldn't think of anything better to do having come to know Christ. All they wanted to do was to understand the doctrine of the apostles, to know more about Christ. I was chatting with one of the other men in the church recently. We were talking about the dangers of growing up in a Christian home. And one of the great dangers for our kids, men and women, is that they go up surrounded by Bible stories and Bible verses and going to church and going to Sunday school. And there's so much Christian culture all around us that the danger is they begin to think that they're simply a Christian because they're surrounded by Christian people and Christian things. And that's a great problem because it's not true. There needs to be the work of the Spirit of God in every single one of us. You are not a Christian because your parents were Christians, and you are not a Christian because your son or daughter is a Christian. You're a Christian when God, the Spirit of God, does a work in your heart and provokes you. The way we live this Christian life, the secret of the Christian life, is the Holy Spirit. What did Peter promise them? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was a very clear promise for them. What you see happening here today, men and men of Judea, is the Spirit of God filling ordinary men, and guess what? He wants to fill you and empower your life too. You say, is that something that happens after you're Christian? No. It's something that happens the moment you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is something else that's possible too. It's possible for us to hinder and quench the Spirit of God's work in our own life. When we do not respond in obedience, when we do not feed our souls on the Word of God, we do not surround ourselves with fellowshipping brothers and sisters who can come alongside of us and feed us and shape us and encourage us in the things of God. We push those things away. We hinder and we quench and we cool the working of the Spirit of God in our hearts and our lives. These men and women filled with the Spirit of God under the power of the Spirit of God, devoted themselves to those things. We're under new management. It's the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ, as the Bible also describes Him, living inside of us. We read and our eyes and our brain understand the Scriptures and comprehend the words, but the Spirit of God gives the illumination, helps us to know what it really means and what it's saying to us. We memorize and meditate with our eyes and our brain, but the transformation that is produced by that memorization and pulling in of scriptural truth that changes us from the inside out, that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. You can memorize. You can learn. You can read and study, but it's the work of the Spirit of God in the heart that changes a man, makes him more like Christ. We practice the doctrine we learn with our hands and our feet and our mouths and our eyes and our ears. But the sanctifying work comes from the Spirit of God. It's His work in us. Brothers and sisters, we are under new management. If you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've come to faith in Christ and repented of sin, you're under new management. Does your life display it? Does my life display it? The hard questions, 
Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? And I mean, have you come to faith in Christ? Because they're not separate events. They're the same. Are you living under new management? Or is there a constant battle in your soul and you're going to, you just keep pushing back and the Spirit of God is being quenched from influencing and affecting how you live for Him? Are you, am I, persisting in living the Spirit filled life? The Holy Spirit-filled life is evidenced by his persistence in the doctrine of the apostles, by persistence in fellowship. You cannot cut yourself off from fellowship of the saints and expect to survive and live the Christian life out on your own somewhere. You were saved into a body, to be a part of a body, to be a part of a church. It doesn't work. Are you persisting in the breaking of bread? And that means communion. We'll look at these next week. Are you persisting in the prayers, the gathering together of God's people to pray for one another? Brothers and sisters, we've seen answers to prayer in this church. There's a few of them sitting around the room. One of them sitting in Canberra. God answers prayer. And the life of the early church, the Holy Spirit-driven life of the early church was won by a mark, by a continual devotion and commitment to gathering for prayer. Let me ask you this. Do you feel within your heart a deep drive, a yearning for the doctrine of the apostles? The, test is, the text sorry, is a test. It's also an example but it's also a goal to strive for. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. You're filled with the Spirit of God. Strive to live that life in His power. When you feel that provoking to get up and go to church, to be with disciples, to be with brothers and sisters, to go to a Bible study where others are gathered around the Word of God, opened and explained, go. God will use those moments to change you and shape you and make you more like the Lord Jesus. You feel that pull to stay away from church. Fight back. Plead with God to show you what sin needs to be dealt with in your life that the Spirit of God might have freedom to rule and reign in every area of your life to make you more like Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to sing the song, Speak, O Lord. But what I want to do, we've done this in the past a couple of times. I want to take some time, like Wes did with communion. I want to take some time to stop and reflect and think. Maybe you need, in the next few minutes, in absolute silence, to put some things right before God. Maybe you need to examine your heart and see what sin has been left to take root that is hindering and quenching the Spirit of God from working. Put it right. Plead with God for forgiveness in the sure hope that you will have it. In a few minutes, I'll come and we'll pray and then we'll sing the song. Loving Father, we come before you again, and we stand here, O oh God, 
And first we give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O God, for a Savior who suffered and bled and died. And his blood washes our conscience clean. Father, we thank you. We thank you, O God, that you have made us new creatures in Christ. And Father, you've called us to a very difficult calling to live as disciples of Christ. But Father, in your infinite grace, you have given us the Spirit of God to dwell within us, to fill us, to mark us and change us, to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, to make us more like him. And Father, we look back and we marvel at the early church and the great things that were being done by you in their midst. And Father, we recognize that you have not changed. The Spirit of God has not changed. The Lord Jesus has not changed. But Father, we have allowed the trinkets and the trash of this world to crowd out our thinking, to change our focus, to draw it away from Christ and Him crucified. Father God, we plead with you that we would be a people like this first century church, persisting in the doctrine of the apostles, persisting in the fellowship of the saints, real, genuine, biblical fellowship. Father, we would hear what you would say to us. We would hear your voice in our hearts. And Father, we would study, examine, read, and investigate as much as we possibly can to know Christ. And Father, we do it in the hope and the certainty of the power of the Spirit of God to change us and make us like Christ. All these things, O oh God, not so that we would make a name for ourselves, but that we could magnify and glorify the name of the Lord Jesus in everything we do. Father, we pre plead with you for a work amongst us all. Father, there, are, there is in some hearts and lives here sin that needs to be dealt with and put away. There is in some of the lives here loneliness and struggle and uncertainty. Father, we pray that the word of God would minister to every heart and every need. That we would know Jesus and walk with him and enjoy the fellowship of him and each other. Father, we ask you for a great work. and We give you thanks again, O oh God, for our time together in worship and in the scriptures. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.